Colonial Woods Missionary Church presents Keys to Confident Living. You may be seated. Can you give the Lord a hand as you're seated today? He's a great God. Oh, if you have your Bibles. Hey, by the way, good morning. Hey, do me a favor. Turn to somebody near you. Just smile at them and say, hey, I'm really glad you're here today. Would you do that? I'm just really glad you're here today. Turn to another neighbor and say, hey, take your Bibles. Take your Bibles. Do that. Ready? Take your Bibles. We're going to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9. That's where we're going to hunker in today as we continue a series that we've entitled Because of You, How to Live a Life Beyond Yourself, Beyond Just Simply the Here and Now. Last week we talked about prayer and the impact of prayer because you prayed. And we heard some great testimonies of God moving because God's people prayed. And today we're going to talk about because you gave and the whole journey of generosity this morning. Uh, This week was off. Hey, can I ask a quick question here real quick? How many of you have ever eaten at a buffet? Any of you ever eaten at a buffet? Most of you have. We're Christians, right? So most of us have. Have any of you ever gone to a buffet, taken, you know, filled up your plate or plates, and come back to your table and sat down and thought, what was I thinking? I will never be able to eat all of this. Any of you ever done that? Some of you have. This week, Monday and Tuesday, I went to a buffet. But it was not a food buffet. I know you're thinking, oh yeah, we can tell. Uh, I was at the buffet of God's Word in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9 because I had to go to some meetings, so I want to get everything tucked away and get it to my assistant before I left. And I just, as it, as it came to me, I just wrote it down, put it in my notes, gave her my note sheets, came back yesterday, opened up my notes, and thought, what was I thinking? I will never get through all of this. But if you're like me, I've done that at buffets before and thought, I'll give it a try. So I tried it last night. It wasn't pretty. It wasn't pretty. So here's what we're going to do today, because some of you are going to go crazy if I don't fill in all the blanks. Take your pens. If you have a pen, go to your note sheet, and we're going to take you to five truths, right? The five truths about generosity, and I want you to take your pen and simply scratch it out. We are not going to talk about those five points, okay? It's the middle section. You got two points, then you got a middle section. Take them, let's see them, just scratch them out. It's what I did on my notes. I just went like this. They're all scratched out, and then we're gonna hit the last five and the first two. We're gonna do our best here in the next few minutes together as we talk about this whole journey of generosity. Now, I gotta tell you, there's no area of my personal life as a Christian that God has taught me more counterintuitively uh, than in this whole area of generosity. Um, I grew up in a, my mom and dad were both depression era individuals. They grew up during the depression. My dad was born before the depression. Mom was born right smack dab in the middle of the depression or the early part of the depression. And so, and some of you uh, maybe have parents or grandparents or maybe you were depression era. And I will just tell you, as is often the case with those who lived during the Depression, my parents were incredibly frugal. Uh, They were frugal, and they put an emphasis on the importance of saving. And by the way, I don't want to suggest that if you're frugal that you're not generous, because I have found that some of the most generous people in the world are very frugal, 
when it comes to themselves. They're very frugal. They don't like wasting any of God's resources, so they're very personally frugal. But when it comes to generosity, then they want to be able to invest it in the harvest field. So, but for me, when you combine what I learned as a kid together with a very self-centered spirit, which is what I had, all of a sudden it brought about this kind of this stinginess of spirit. Everything was about me. So when I came to Christ, God began immediately to rip that out of my character. He began to challenge me that life was not about me. It was about him. It was not about what I could gain. It was about what, what God wanted to do through my life. And so he had to teach me how to give and how to actually enjoy being generous with my life. And so I remember when I, one of the first things I recall as a new believer I was being discipled uh, by a guy by the name of Greg, and Greg was a senior. I was a freshman at Indiana University, and I was feasting on the Word. I just, I came alive. The, I loved the Word of God. It was just something that I loved uh, as an early believer, and it's just one of my giftings. And so he saw that in me, and so he went over to his shelf. I remember him doing it, grabbing a commentary that was, he only had a couple, and giving it to me and saying, here, I, want to, I just want to give that to you. Now, i got to tell you, I'm not used to that, so I'm thinking, okay, what do I have to pay for that, right? Because I'm used to making sure there's an equal exchange. What do I owe you for that? And he said, no, I just want to bless you. And i got to tell you, because I had that, that kind of that, that, that stingy spirit, it was hard for me to even receive a blessing, right? Because I just assumed I had to pay him back. Later in that year, the Spirit of God really spoke to my heart, and I was discerning, I was kind of learning what it meant to go by what the Lord was prompting me to do, and I had to buy a pair of tennis shoes, and Greg was going to go with me to the mall uh, there in Bloomington, Indiana, and I remember very specifically when we are going into the shoe store, the Lord prompted my heart and said, I want you to bless pair, uh, Greg with a brand new pair of running shoes. And I was on a really fixed budget. I mean, I, I, I had just so much to make it through the year. I wanted to get, pay my first year of college. And so I went in there, and I just, out of obedience, said, you know, Greg, I want to bless you today. Pick out any pair of shoes you want. I feel like God's wanting me to buy you a pair of shoes. And he did, and it was somewhere around 100 or 80 to 100 bucks, which 150 years ago, that's a lot of money, right? And so I was this college student, didn't have anything, and yet I re all of a sudden it was like, wow. What a joy to be generous. Tammy and I, a uh, year or two later, we were, we were moving toward marriage. And we, and we began to talk about finances in marriage. And Tammy brought up this whole concept of tithing. That, that she believed, she was raised, that you give 10% of your finances to the Lord. That's just your first fruits that you give to the Lord. And I wasn't against it. I just didn't know anything about it. I'd never heard of it, and I wasn't really even reluctant. It was such a foreign concept, but in our marriage, we committed day one. We were going to give the first 10%. We try to do more than that now, but it's, we're going to give to the Lord. We're going to trust Him. Uh, this is not ours. It's all about Him. The first 10% goes to the Lord. We practice that through college. We practice that through early ministry, and God has just blessed us over and over through just simply learning what it is to enjoy being generous. Uh, went into church ministry. We experienced in our churches that in our churches that the stingier we wanted to be, the more God wanted us to open our hands and our arms and be generous, and God just blessed and blessed. We've been so fortunate to be in some incredible churches and, and just to have wonderful relationship with our folks and to go on that journey with them. Um, I remember when I came here to Colonial Woods about 17 years ago, one of, our, one of our very first board meetings, we had a missionary, in fact it was Rob Foster, he was starting a brand new venture or project as a, in China and requested 
if we could invest, and I can't remember if it was 5000 or 7000 something tells me it was $7,000, would we be willing to do that? And it was a very short conversation when our leadership said, well, of course we can do this. And they invested, and I'll be honest with you, <laughs> we probably shouldn't have because of just, you know, being within our budget and stuff. But I loved it because their attitude was, God has blessed us so much, how could we not want to bless others? God has cared for us so much, how could we not want to care for others? And if we are, by faith, generous people, God will take care of us. And so over and over, the Lord has taken me on this this journey of generosity, but something occurred to me. You can be very generous corporately and still be stingy individually. I didn't hear a single amen on that. You can be, in other words, we should do something about that. We should get involved in that. We should, it is always easier to corporately be generous than it is to be individually generous, right? Still not an amen. You're not, you're not picking up what I'm putting down. But what I'm saying is this, is that I've learned over the years, God doesn't want us just to be generous. God wants me to be generous. God wants me, and he wants me to learn what it is to be generous in my life. It's like the guy who uh, was in the locker room at a golf course, and the phone rings, and so he puts it on speakerphone, and on the other line, she goes, honey, is that you? Are you at the golf course? And he said, yeah, I'm here. And she says, um, hey, honey, I'm out shopping, and um, I know this is probably a little bit much. I found the most incredible coat, and if it's $1,000, and I just love it, and is it okay if I buy it? And, and he says, well, I suppose if you really like it, I guess you could buy it. And she goes, oh, you're the best. You're the best. And, and honey, I know you're probably going to think I'm just being goofy on this, but, you know, I, I've been wanting that Mercedes, and I stopped by the Mercedes uh, dealership, and the car that I want, the running special, it's actually, it's down below 100000 now, it's eighty nine nine, and I really, I know it's probably much, but I really would love to have it, and well, for eighty nine nine, you probably ought to get all the bells and whistles, and oh, you're the, you're the greatest, honey, I thank you so much, and I know I'm going a little bit overboard, but you know, we've been talking for years, that if the house on the hill ever came available, well, it came available. It's on the market, $650,000. I know that's on the top end, but honey, this is our dream home. Would you mind if I, and he he just simply said, well, it's kind of a soft market right now, maybe offer $590 or something like that. And Oh, you're the best, honey. You're incredible. I love you. I love you. I'll see you when I get home. And she hangs up and he hangs up and he puts the phone down and everybody's just standing in the locker room going. He goes, anybody know whose phone this is? It is always easier to be generous with other people's finances, right? With their time, with their hearts, right? It's always easier, right? So Paul, Paul takes, and I love how God does this because God usually takes those you would least think could be generous to teach generosity. He uses a widow and a widow's might, right, to teach about generosity and giving. He uses the poorest church, the Macedonian church, he uses one of the poorest churches in the world to teach one of the wealthiest churches in the world what it means to be generous. It's just like God. So in chapter 8, Paul is speaking to the church of Corinth, one of the wealthiest cities 
in the Mediterranean and certainly one of the wealthiest churches by virtue in the Mediterranean. And he says this, and now brothers, and I assume sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches out of the most severe trial. Now, the reason they're in a severe trial is because they're under persecution for their faith. Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up into rich generosity. Now, now hear that again. Their, their, their extreme poverty welled up into rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints, and they did not do as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. Verse 7, But just as you, church in Corinth, Excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in your love for us. See that you also excel in this grace of giving. And when you see that phrase, that means you can learn how to do this, right? This is not, this is not just who you are. This is something you can practice and you can do. So real quickly, I just want to make two quick observations about generosity. And then I want to get into chapter 9 and I want to share with you some of the fruit that comes from simply being generous. The first thing I want you to see is that generosity is at the very heart of God's character. It is at the core of his character. In fact, you're going to notice throughout this whole passage as you're reading it over and over again. You're going to notice that he uses the word grace. Say that word with me, would you? Grace. I've taught this acronym before, but for those who haven't heard it, the word grace, if you put it into an acronym, is God's riches at Christ's expense. All the resources of heaven paid for by Christ on the cross, and God at his very heart is a giving, generous God. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he did what? What did he do? He, he gave. You cannot earn grace. You cannot buy grace. You cannot, you cannot deserve grace. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Paul says that God lavished that means he abundantly gave his grace to us. John says he lavished his love on us. James, James chapter 1, he says, if any of you lack wisdom, he says, ask, and the God who loves to give will pour out wisdom and discernment on you. He says in chapter 1, latter part, he says that every good and perfect, every, I'm sorry, every good and perfect gift comes from our heavenly Father above. God is a giving God, and God wants us to look like him in our character. He's dad, and he wants us to take after him. That's why Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5, as dearly loved children, right, imitate him. So God wants us to take on faithfulness because he's faithful. He wants us to love because he's loving. He wants us to be just because he's just. He wants us to keep our word because he keeps his word. And he wants us to be generous because he's generous. And it's at the very core of who God is. Number two, second observation. 
Generosity is so much more than about finances. It is not just about money. It is about, in fact, it's about an attitude, not an amount. You can be generous with money and you can be stingy with your time, right? It's easier for me. I, it's actually easier for me to give some finances than it is to give time sometimes. We can be stingy with our time, so God wants us to actually be generous with our time. We can be stingy with our trust, so God calls us to be generous with our trust. We can be stingy with our forgiveness. But what does God say? God says, forgive just as in Jesus Christ God forgave you. He says, I'm giving, I'm grace-filled. Why aren't you grace-filled? Do you know what I've noticed? It's really interesting. I've noticed over the years that oftentimes those who have been shown the most grace oftentimes show the least amount of grace to anybody else. Isn't that wild? Paul's not like that. Paul says, how could I not show grace to you? He said, God loves sinners of which I'm the worst. How could I possibly not forgive others when God has forgiven me of so much? Sometimes I can be generous with finances, but I can be stingy with my praise of people. I can be stingy of encouraging people. Our kids, our kids need more than just sneakers and, and tennis shoes and a place to live. Our kids need encouragement and praise, right? Does that make sense? In fact, here's what I found. You're going to find that the very area of your life that you least want to give away is the very area of your life that God wants you to become the most generous. Did you hear that? Did you catch that? process that the very area of your life that you tend to want the most control of is the very area that God tends to challenge you that he wants you to give away patience impatience see patience is actually being generous with people right this last week um our uh, microwave uh, blew up it didn't blow up I mean it quit working and so it kept blowing breakers, and so we had to replace it, and I was on a very crazy time frame, and so I thought it wouldn't be until this weekend, but on Tuesday, um, I started looking them up real quick, and um, I found a microwave that would replace the one, and it really wasn't that expensive. And so I told Tammy, I said, rather than go buy a cheap one, let's just buy exactly what we need. And I said, I can't, I can't get to the store, I don't think I can, before it closes. Could you just go, I'll, I'll send you the text, you go in, you order it, and then if you could bring it home, then I'll come home and I'll install it because the next day I, I had to take off fairly early for some meetings in Indiana. And so she got a hold of me and she said, I, I bought it, but she said it didn't fit in my car. Could you stop by and pick it up on the way home? Um, make sure you take your ID with you, and then I'll, and, I, and she sent me the receipt and everything, and they're expecting you to come pick it up. So I, I went ahead, and I, I walked in, and uh, I said, hey, and the security guy actually knew that I was, he says, you here for a microwave? I said, yeah. He says, just go over to this counter. So I went over to the counter, and I get over there, and I said, hi, I'm supposed to pick up a microwave. And the, the lady said, okay, well, whose name is it under? I said, well, I, I was told to bring my ID, and I told him who bought it. I said, Tammy I bought it, and I'm her husband, Phil. And she said, well, I I don't see your name on any of the, the microwaves. And I, there was only one. It was sitting right there with Tammy's name on it. And so I said, well, it, I, it's right there. That's, I'm pretty sure that's the one. It's got her name on it. She goes, yeah, but your name's not on it. And I said, yeah, but I, I was told that I could just come in and show you this. And I got the receipt. She said, I can't do that. I'll lose my job. And I said, oh. 
And so, and, and, and I would just tell you that normally I would go into negotiation phase here. Like, I, I'm really big on empowering people. Oh, no, of course you can do this. Let me tell you how. I mean, that's kind of how I do it. And, um, and uh, this, so, so the security guy came over and he said, hey, he said, I know this. I mean, I literally I talked to his wife. She was here less than an hour ago. And he's supposed to take this. She said, I can't do it. I'll lose my job. And so she started, and I'm going to tell you, this is so unlike me. I just, I stood there and, and I just, um, I don't know, I just kind of went into, I don't know, my own little la-la world. Just enjoyed it. I literally was sitting there thinking, oh, they'll figure it out eventually. And so I stood there and just kind of smiled and about five minutes later she came back. She said, okay, I've, I've got it. It's okay for me to do this. And, and she said, you can go ahead and take it. And it was literally, literally right there. And she said something to me that I just got to tell you, I, I was so blown away that I heard her say it. She said, thank you for your patience. <laughs> me! I was, I literally in that moment said, Lord, thank you so much. Thank you for just helping me relax and enjoy. Because I had a lot to do that night. But I was generous in that moment, right? You're going to find something. You're going to find that if you struggle with generosity, it will never seem like the right time to be generous. And if you love generosity, there will never seem like a bad time to be generous. The Macedonian churches, they were impoverished. And they begged for the right to give. I've never had a person beg me to give I, that I'm aware of. I've never, oh, please plead with me. He said, they pleaded with me. But you will also find that it does not, you will always make expense or, uh, excuses for not being generous. Um, I've got little kids. I can't be generous, right? I'm buying diapers and formula, and I don't make anything because I'm young, and i got to wait till they get a little bit older. I can't give my kids are in sports. Do you know how much it costs to keep my kids in sports and to be involved in all of this stuff, and we've got gas, and we've got all that stuff? I can't give. My kids are in high school. Do you know how much a teenager costs? By the way, if you have little kids, I'm gonna, I don't want to discourage you. They don't get cheaper. You're thinking right now the messy diapers, that this is all. No, no, no. It's just that it gets more expensive. They have oil changes, cars, insurance, all that kind of stuff. It just gets more expensive. Jeans cost more, all that kind of stuff. Sorry to say it. It's just it. You'll never, right, because you never have enough money for kids, right? You just say, oh, I'm going to have kids. No, no, you'll never have enough money. But I can't. My kids are in college. I am broke. Can I get a witness? I can't be generous. My kid is out of college. And I don't have anything left. I can't be generous. I'm 50-something years old, and i got to get ready for retirement. I can't give. I'm retired. I'm on a fixed income. Are you catching what I'm saying here? There will never be a good time. But if you catch the heart of generosity... And it's not just about finances. You will find there's never a bad time. So let's go on the journey. What happens when we practice generosity? Let's go into chapter 9. I love this. Paul says, verse 6, 
chapter 9. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will reap generously. By the way, so what's the insinuation there? Is that you're investing and that when you sow generosity, you reap generosity or generously. Each man, each woman should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion or because the pastor said so. That's mine. That's when mayor. Um, For God loves a cheerful giver. Say that phrase with me. God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, he who scattered his, abroad his gifts to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. Now, he who supplies the seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed, and he will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You pour out, God knows how to pour in. You will be made rich, not in a bank account necessarily. You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. Now, why did God make you rich in every way? So you can be generous in every way. Does that make sense? We See, we get, what I find is the title changes. We become believers, but the motives can stay the same. It's still very selfish. But when we understand that God blesses and blesses and blesses so that we can bless and bless and bless, it is not about us, it's about him. Worship is not about us, it's about him. All of this is not about us, it's all about him. And he says he is able to make you so that you can be generous on every occasion and through your generosity it will result in thanksgiving to God. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of God's people, But it is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, men will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace that God has given to you. Five fruitful harvests that come from a life of generosity. Number one fruitful harvest is that others are encouraged to keep standing. When you give your life away, when you invest in the lives of others, he looks and he says, do you realize that when you give into their need, it encourages those that are in need. It's not so that you are in want. It's so that they are cared for just as when they are giving in your time of need. One of the things that I am so blessed to be able to do, and you saw a little bit of it with Rick as he was sharing with you, but I, I get to hear the stories of people that are encouraged because someone simply was kind to them, blessed them, gave their life away. When you put time into someone's life, when you come alongside of that one who perhaps is a little bit extra grace required, and yet you you minister grace into their lives, it gives them the courage and the encouragement to keep standing. A few years ago, um, we were investing 
um, out of a fund that we had developed, which was um, uh, we set aside. We had a fund that we set aside just so that we could give it away. And we had a couple of churches that were in various ages. One was a very old church. One was a brand new church. But they were struggling. And uh, we were able to simply sow seeds of encouragement into those churches. And we were able to come alongside. One had refocused their vision. But they didn't have some of the finances necessary to kind of make the turn. And so we invested in them. And and uh, can I just tell you that more than the finances that we were able to give, and, you know, we as a leadership, we have the privilege a lot of times of, of being able to oversee and direct that stewardship. But can I just tell you that to this day, they will still look back and they will just simply say, you were such an encouragement to us. And they reached into their communities, knowing that they weren't alone, that there, were, there is something about the encouragement that is sown into the kingdom of God when we are generous with ourselves. Number two, there's another fruitful harvest. Number two, a seed is planted that is going to reap an eternal reward. And here's something I want to challenge you with. Jesus says this. He, Paul says it like this. Paul says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Jesus said it this way in Matthew 6. He said... Do not store up your treasure here on earth where moth and rust can destroy and where thieves can break in and steal, but store up your treasures in heaven. And here's something that struck me. What if your treasures in heaven are not about you? See, I think sometimes when we read that, we think, oh, you know what? I'm going to invest here because when I get to heaven, that's how much more is going to be given to me. What if it's not about what is waiting for you as far as rewards? What if what is stored up in heaven are lives that have been impacted by your generosity? Rick was telling the truth when he said that our investments in Africa are beyond measure and it's not because we haven't tried they literally have grown into countries that we don't find out till a year later that there's even a church there charles who's a good friend of mine charles kenyon jewey about four or five years ago he stopped trying to count at last count at last count his best guess was over 150,000 disciples he finally quit trying to count. And that was five years ago. In South Africa, only five years ago, we had three countries, now over 21. You see, when you quit trying to count what's, what, what the fruit is, I really think when we're in heaven... We're going to be able to celebrate with those who have been impacted, and we had no idea that we were impacted. Paul is rejoicing today with those that are in glory already, and for 2,000 years, the faithfulness of his ministry, he, I don't think he had any idea what was going to happen in eternity as far as who all would be there because he was simply generous. In fact, he literally gave his life away. 
We don't know if he gave a whole lot of money away, but we know that he gave his life away. He gave his time away. He gave his calling to the Lord. He was generous with every area of his life, even encouragement, until his life was snuffed out for the cause of Christ. And yet today, how many high fives are happening in heaven? You see, here's the deal. When you believe that God is really the sovereign God, and you believe that God is really the faithful God, and that you believe that God is really the kind God and the loving God, then you don't worry so much about keeping track of what harvest is waiting for you because you just know this, that God is a giving God and he's a way more giving God than we are and he'll never be outgiven by us. Does that make sense? It's just simply, it's, it's, it's just simply, it's not about equations. It is simply having the confidence that God knows exactly how to bring about an eternal harvest. Number three, The third thing I know about when you sow generously is that God continues to put seed in your seed bag. He says exactly that. As it is written, verse 10, Now he who supplies the seed to the sower and the bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and he will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. He will make you rich on every occasion so that you can be generous on every occasion. Here's, here's, I have a very simple understanding of this. God loves to pour into my life. And as I pour out of my life what he has poured into my life, God loves to pour in more into my life so that I can pour more out into the lives of others. God pours into my life And if I become stingy and simply am unwilling to show grace, forgiveness, generosity with what God has given to me, he won't necessarily take it away. He just won't get anything new. Heard a guy one time say, he said, you know what? God shovels into our life. We shovel out. God shovels in. We shovel out. And he says, God's got a bigger shovel than we do. Why in the world would God bless us with more when we haven't been faithful with what we have? I said that last week as a church. Church, why would God bring in? The greatness of a church is not who comes in. The greatness of a church is who we're willing to let go, send out. The greatness of a church is what's going out, not what's coming in. Now, I love you all, but this is not the greatness of a church. The greatness of a church is what's going out. Number four. The fourth fruit that comes from generosity is that God is glorified and thanksgiving goes up to him in worship. Isn't this incredible? When we do this thing right for the right reasons, we show grace into people's life. We show generosity into their lives. God gets the glory. This is the worship service almost nobody ever talks about. We talk about worship in, uh, uh, in uh, music, and we talk about worship in fellowship. We talk about worship in prayer. We talk about worship in the Word of God. But did you realize that when we're generous, God takes this, and God is glorified through the generosity of His people? And can I just share with you, the main goal of our life should be to want to just simply bring Him glory. The main goal of this church is to bring Him glory. We talked about being in awe of him. The main goal of our life is to give reverence and incredible, just to love on him. That's the main goal of our life. And number five, number five. 
you will find that generosity has a way of coming back to us in the kindness that is shown by others. I love what Paul says. Paul says that in their prayers for you, in their prayers for you. In other words, he says, you're being generous, you're pouring yourself out, but now what's happening is they're ministering grace back to you through their prayers and their kindness toward you. I have had a chance over the years to walk through a lot of crisis with people. And I have noticed that sometimes people, they walk through hard times, and when they walk through hard times, they tend to go through it kind of alone. And then there are those that when they go through a crisis, they have all kinds of people who come around them and pour into their lives. And I, I'm just, it's just an observation. I have noticed that those who have spent their lives pouring into others have the most poured back into their lives when they go through crisis. It's just the way that it is. I'm going to invite the worship team to come forward. About 20 years ago, I was in Israel. And uh, I was with a tour bus, a number of folks that were going there. And um, we went to the Holocaust Museum. And that's a very somber visit, by the way. And as we are driving into the, uh, the grounds of the Holocaust Museum, there's a grove of trees. And our tour guide um, said, um, this is the grove of the righteous Gentiles. And there are trees that are planted there in remembrance of Gentiles who saved the lives of Jews during the Holocaust. And as we were coming up, she said, up here on your, I think it was the left, there is the tree for Oscar Schindler. And we knew who that was because it was just a couple years earlier that the movie Schindler's List came out. Uh, was it Liam Neeson was, was Schindler, was Oscar Schindler. And I actually did a little study on Oscar's life. Oscar Schindler was a, um, was a, was a Nazi. He was a German businessman who was, uh, who was a member of the Nazi party, um, was a philanderer, was uh, extremely extravagant, uh, wasteful with money. And uh, um, by his own accounts, he was just kind of greedy. And um, during the Holocaust, when Jews were begin being uh, put into concentration camps, um, they first of all were segregated, then they were put into concentration camps, then from the concentration camps they were taken to the gas chambers. Oscar Schindler, something happened where it stopped being about money and he began to use his businesses and his resources to try to save Jewish people. And so the way that he would save them was by hiring them to work in his factories, which at one time was producing uh, war ammunitions. And in order to be able to hire these Jews, he would have to bribe officials. And so he would pay $100 for a person and then they would let you they would let you essentially buy a Jewish person and hire them to work in your factory. At the end of the war, Oscar Schindler actually was, was bankrupt. And the U.S. allies came in and actually rescued the Jews that were in his factory in the concentration camp. 
And at the end of the movie, if you happen to watch the movie, Oscar Schindler is standing there, and because he's a member of the Nazi party, he's, he's going to be arrested for his, um, as part of the party. And so he has to flee to another country, and he's, he's gathered around by those that were saved by his kindness. And unbeknownst to him, they had actually, they had very little resources, but some of them still had the gold fillings in their teeth. And so they pulled their teeth, and they took the gold out of the gold filling, they melted it down, and they, they made him a ring, and it actually it looks kind of like a wedding ring. And on the inside of the ring, they engraved this inscription that says, he who saves one life saves all. And in the movie, it's a powerful scene where he holds the gift that is given to him in appreciation for what he has done, and he begins to weep. And he said, I was so, so wasteful. I could have done so much more. And one of them speaks out, but you did so much. He goes, but I could have done so much more. And he turns around and he looks at his car and he says, this car, this car, I could have, I could have bought 10. I could have bought 10 people with this car. This pin, he holds his little Nazi pin. He says, this is gold. He says, I could have bought two more. I could have bought two people with this pin. This ring. Two, two people. Maybe one. I think two. I think I could have saved two more people with this ring. And he collapses to the ground and he begins to weep. And the, the Jewish men and women gather around him and begin to console him. And what impacted him was not all that he had done. By the way, 1,200 Jews were saved by Oscar Schindler. He wasn't impacted by what he did. He took no pride in that. He was impacted by what he hadn't done. Today, there are more than 7,000 descendants of those Jewish individuals that are alive today. Most of you would not know the rest of the story. Oscar Schindler financially was devastated through all that. He tried to go into farming, he went bankrupt. At the end of his life, he had no resources, he had nothing, but he was taken in and cared for by the 1,200 Jews that he had saved their lives. And they buried him, only Nazi to be buried here. They buried him in Jerusalem on Mount Zion. He who sows sparingly reap sparingly. He who sows generously will reap a harvest. Fathers, we come before you this morning. I thank you that you are so generous. And I thank you that you are so kind. And I thank you that you gave everything for us and for me. Forgive me, Lord, when I have become stingy and thought that this is somehow just about me, when I want to hold on to that which you've given to me. And Lord, today I have a feeling that you're probably speaking to many of us in different ways, some with their forgiveness, some with grace, some with encouragement, some with words of affirmation, some 
on the area of finances, but the very thing that we are very reluctant to give, you want us to become generous. Lord, help us. Do you realize this? You can force a person to give, but you cannot force them to be generous. Spirit of the living God, would you develop and help me to grow into being a generous, cheerful, giving person so that my life will live beyond my life, but into eternity. Thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Colonial Woods Missionary Church presents Keys to Confident Living.